Welcome to Drinks with Defenders. I'm Addie B. Plate. And I'm Kayla Murphy. We're two law school friends turned criminal defense attorneys, turned podcast hosts. We're here in this space because we now work in separate offices and miss collaborating with each other. We've been talking about creating a podcast for years where we talk about the complexities of the criminal justice system, the aspects of it that we grapple with, and the importance of what we do. At the end of a long work week, we want to sit down, have a drink with each other, and talk about the rabbit holes of criminal defense, just like we always have. So let's get into it. Cheers. Welcome to Drinks with Defenders. If you're new here, my name is Addie P. Plate, and my co-host is Kayla Murphy. We are two attorneys located in the United States. This is our podcast where we talk about topics pertaining to the U.S. legal system. A little housekeeping before we jump in. We have a new patron this week. Her name is Amanda. Please give it up for her or them. Um, I'm not sure what Amanda's pronouns are. So thank, thank you to our new patron. We'll share more info with you about Patreon in just a few moments. We're on all the socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Audible, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Deezer, Podbean, and even Samsung. So you can find us there, keep up with what we're doing, and find out what's going on with the podcast. The best way to get a hold of us is at our email, which is drinkswiththefenders at gmail.com. Our podcast looks a little bit different tonight, doesn't it, Kayla? We're just kind of spitballing. We're having the other two members of Drinks with Defenders that are more of the behind the scenes hanging out with us. We just wanted to kick it. So joining us on the pod tonight, we have Clark Wayne, who's our producer. We affectionately refer to him as our law Clark. And then also on the podcast uh, this evening joining us, she is our law clerk. And um, her name's Christy. If you're on TikTok, you might know her. She's a little bit popular there. Mm -hmm. Um, You can find her at KPZ. So you have all four members of Drinks with Defenders on the pod tonight, and we are just going to kick it and have a drink and chat. So this is going to be fun. This is different for us. We're not picking a topic. I think we all have different things that are just bubbling that we want to talk about. And we'll see how it goes. What's everybody drinking tonight? I have a Twisted Tea. What do you got going on, Addie? I recently moved to Washington. I still practice in Idaho, but I decided to stick with the spirit of that. So I am drinking a an American pale ale. It was gifted to me from a friend. Um, and I'm not much of a light beer girly, but it is a Washington beer. It's from Silver City Brewery, oh. I think from the West Side. I love them. Um, it's the American pale ale. Yeah, it's good. It's called Sonic Rain. If anybody has tried it, I would highly recommend. It's not overpowering like an IPA. Yeah. Um, heads up to people on the podcast. If I'm drinking beer, it might be like a little snobby like beer review because I like beer. I don't like all beer. This beer is good. Um, what about y'all? What are the rest of our crew drinking this evening? Um, well, I'm drinking a Jack Daniels Gentleman Jack. 
whiskey, Ooh. a fat one on the rocks. You would. In my, Classy as fuck. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. In Naturally. my Declaration of Independence glass that I bought at the Boy Scout um, yard sale for 50 cents. So, I just see the, the giant Declaration of declare <laughs> on one side. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, declaration. You are a goddamn patriot. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm a, you know, a founding father scholar. And I saw this at the, <laughs> I saw this at the Boy Scout yard sale like a year ago. No, two years ago. It was before I graduated law school. And I was like, I have to have that. I have to take the Declaration of Independence from the Boy Scouts. It's incredible. I want that to be a quote on this podcast. Anytime we're referencing like laws from forever ago that just randomly come up that we are founding father scholars because that was funny. <laughs> the alliteration of that was, was perfect. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we care for them. It just means that we, we know and we're paying attention <laughs> and we got our eye on you. Thomas we Jeremy. know yeah. what they, mm. we got we're our on eye on them. them. And we sure. know we're about on the, you. We know. <laughs> Clark, what about you? What are you drinking? Well, as you know, I take my drinking very seriously. So tonight called for a very serious drink, a high noon. But to my surprise, it's not just any high noon. Mm. This is new to me. It's a tequila high noon. Mm. Oh. I have to That's talk delicious. to you about high noon. I okay. have to talk to you about it. I was in the <laughs> South recently. No, no, no. I was in the South recently. I have never seen high noon. It's not really popular up in the inner mountain west where i live it's not really a thing i was at a bar in savannah it's because they don't want to be happy there just <laughs> man well i guess <laughs> but there were people just fangirling about high noon and i was i was intrigued i was like what is that and also like i said it's i mean not to just hype somebody up but our law clerk is a little bit of a review reviewer of the canned um drinks so i would like her yeah. take on the high noon i know nothing about them i i have mm. some high noons in my fridge right now that i have not tried and i have a um sunny d vodka seltzer that people have been like you in my got them yes people have been in my instagram dms <laughs> about this because for people who don't know me and don't follow me on instagram like that's totally fine um, because sometimes <laughs> I do, um, I, I do seltzer tastings <laughs> like during COVID and when like all three of us minus our law clerk, the, the three attorneys on the call here, when we were all doing law school during the pandemic, um, at some point it got really boring and you're in your house and you're like, what are you doing? And I decided, um, that I was going to start tasting seltzers because Bud Light came out with those really weird holiday seltzers, uh. like, like Christmas 2020 or whatever. And I bought them and I was home alone. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink four seltzers and put my reaction on Instagram. And so now <laughs> I have like four Iconic. different story highlights on my Instagram of me just like trying different <laughs> seltzers and different beers and stuff. And so now when new seltzers come out, my friends are like, hey, you need to get this. I need a seltzer review on this. And I've been struggling really hard to find the Sunny D vodka seltzers. And I've only heard good things about them. Um, but I, I found... I could not find like the four pack, but I could buy one can somehow, like not even a tall boy. Like I did a Walmart hmm. pickup order, not a sponsor, just a necessity. And <laughs> I could only buy a single <laughs> can. 
And so I was like, you know what? That's perfect because what if I like them? You know, I don't have four. Yeah. That's sad. But what if I hate them? I only have the one. So yeah, I mean, I, I have a seltzer to review in my fridge and high needs to review. I almost want like a live on the pod review. I mean, I can go I get it. I mean, please. I, I, oh my gosh. No, we like now, this? is that what you're saying? I mean, yeah. Let's we do it. crazy. Okay. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me get it. Hold on. I mean, part of the title is drinks. That's <laughs> with different <amen. laughs> So true. So I true. feel like it's important to point out is it drinks with defenders or is it drink with defenders after the fact that we're doing a review <laughs> of a new drink? I feel like it's drank with defenders on drank this particular so, afternoon. Christy, hold it up I'm to the so camera. I've never seen this before. Wow. Oh, Wait, let me do the influencer cool. hand. The inf- oh, this is the yeah. influencer hand. You have to like oh, put your hand God behind it damn. so the camera goes. so cool. Oh my God. Thank you looks so much. so good. So it um, looks amazing. Let me give you some highlights because I always give some context here. So first of all, these are usually way funnier on my Instagram because the more that I try, the drunker I get. Like I don't just d- try it and don't drink it. I drink the whole can. We have so. Well, yeah, no, I just mean like <laughs> we have. <laughs> usually, I'm home. trying like usually I'm bo- I'm blowing through like six seltzers in an evening when I decide I'm going to do this, and so by the end of it, I'm like, it tastes like how sunscreen smells, and that's like some of the feedback I give. But mm. um, so yeah, this is a <laughs> seltzer tasting. This is a Sunny D vodka seltzer. It has 95 calories, zero grams of sugar, 4.5 percent alcohol, um, made with real fruit juice. And sparkling water, natural orange flavor, and other flavors. Is it gluten free? It is indeed gluten free. Okay, good. <laughs> See right there. Um, yeah, contains alcohol, gluten free, made with real juice. So, as I just product. want to know how much it tastes like an actual Sunny D because I oh, love. Here we go. She's smelling it. It smells like an orange soda. Like it smells like a Fanta, orange Whoa. Fanta. It's clear. It's not orange. Mm. You guys can't That's see that, surprising. but it's clear. Mm. So let's give her a little taste. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that I would say it tastes like Sunny D. I would say it tastes like a Fanta. It's an orange soda. Oh, wow. That's dangerous. It's and you, you have know, to give it a ranking. Ten out of ten. Really? Whoa! Ten out of ten. I'm obsessed with this. And like I, I wasn't expecting to be let down because everyone that yeah. I know that's had it loves it. I'm just, you know, I I love it. What are those orange sodas called? They're like Henry's, Henry's hard soda. It's like glass yeah. bottles and it is actually like hard orange soda. This tastes like a Henry's, but it has no sugar. And honestly, the thing that bums me out about Henry's is it has so much sugar in it that by the time I drink six, I do not feel good. Mm. So this is good. 10 out of 10. I'll definitely buy it. I don't think I've ever had a Fanta. What the hell? You've never had an orange soda? An orange Fanta? I don't think I've ever Ma'am. had a Fanta. What's the other so, like, one? Ma'am. The context that it's you're giving, I don't think sun-kissed. I've ever had a Fanta. A uh, Crush. Crush? Or Sunkiss. Yeah. You've crush, never had an orange soda? Fanta. You've had an orange soda, surely, at you. I've had an orange soda. I've just never okay. had a Fanta. I mean, they all taste the same. Yeah. So, I, I, mean, I don't know... Yeah. Okay. There's uh. Well, now we know. The, the Mexican <laughs> one. It's Spanish Haritos. Oh yeah, yeah Haritos. They just came out with the Nike Dunk Haritos. I'm very excited for those. I won't. Those get are a, like crap. 
Yeah. Those are like crack. Every single flavor, 10 out of 10. Every mm-hmm. single flavor, mm-hmm. they don't mix. Every single flavor is great. <laughs> I wonder how much sugar is in them, Ooh. but <laughs> they don't mix. Just bop after bop after bop with, <laughs> with those sodas. And Kayla, you're drinking, you say, <laughs> iced tea? It's a twisted tea. A twisted tea. I've never had yeah. one. Highly you- recommend. I mean, it just tastes like tea. Straight up. I, you don't taste the alcohol Clark, you at all. seriously haven't had a twisted tea? No, but I remember seeing that Instagram where somebody was talking <laughs> smack. They were, I think, saying a bunch of racist shit. And someone took twisted tea to like their head. Yeah, oh, it think. was like... <laughs> it was... No, it, yeah, it was like <laughs> this, this like belligerent white guy just calling this black man minding his, his business just to his face minding his business ready to check out at like 7-eleven or whatever calling him just like a onslaught of racial racial slurs mm-hmm. and this guy just got fed up and he has a tall boy twisted tea and he just turns around and goes whack and just smacks this guy upside the head <laughs> and he passes out on the ground like out cold on the ground and <laughs> all these people are like oh <laughs> like it's it was the most like patriotic thing i've ever seen <laughs> like i don't know it was just like that's america yeah all right wait, here's a question wait what was wait wait, wait. time out what was the drink that was thrown at ted cruz am i missing something am, am i off on that didn't someone throw mm. a drink at like a, a public figure also recently and i also want to say it was a twisted tea but i could be entirely wrong i'm looking i it think up. somebody threw a Jeez. drink Threw man arrested after throwing beer can. Um, at, at Ted Cruz, right? Yeah, it was at Ted Cruz at the <laughs> during the Astros World Series championship parade. Oh yeah, they threw a yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, why did the I think it was a I thought you were talking about when, like, the only for some reason the only thing my brain went to was like in 2004 when they threw that shoe at George Bush or something. That was like immediately where my brain went. I was like, no, it was a shoe. And then I was like, no, that was George Bush and not no, Ted Cruz. Someone, oh my gosh, I just watched the video. Someone threw a can. And he like got him in the head. Whoever threw that should be like... <laughs> to play for the Astros, honestly. They, they could use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> man, here we are like supporting a bunch okay. of violence if it involves an alcohol. No, 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 no. It's not... It's not supporting violence. It's supporting like civil unrest. Ah, uh, it's all about how you frame it, Clark. Okay, that's kind of what we. Yeah, do. that's true. That's that's an attorney thing. Well, right and also, there. are is this not drink with defenders? Like yeah. that man probably had to get represented in the court of law somewhere for sure. He allegedly threw a drink. <laughs> what about yeah? I mean, it is a moving parade, so he could have been aiming at something else, right? But the guy in the gas <laughs> station... Transferred intent. That, transferred yeah. intent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. How? First of all, how would you guys defend the man in the gas station? Self-defense. Okay. It depends on... I, I say it depends on what state you're in, but in Oregon... The, so I practice in Oregon and in Missouri, um, but I'm more familiar with the criminal code in Oregon. Um, and I would say you have, you can make a claim of self-defense because you don't necessarily have to, like you could do defense of yourself or others or of property, and you can use a reasonable amount of force necessary to like protect yourself. And I would say that based on like the approach of this guy in the video, like 
clearly using racial slurs and was like getting closer to this mm-hmm. guy, like it could be like an assault battery situation that you're like fending off. I think, but that's just where my brain went first, but I'm not sure because it is on video. That's the other problem. Man. You're making me think about... Dude, well, what I was just thinking about is I was just listening to this podcast and Reveal, highly recommend. It's an investigative journalism podcast. And they were talking about stand your ground laws and recent cases that have been in the news where that has been utilized. Mm -hmm. Just like with crazy shit. I'm sure you guys have heard about some of these. Like that cheerleader who like was walking out of the store, got in that guy's car, he fucking shot her. Um, there were, they, they talked about like several other stories, like a DoorDash person or like somebody was just delivering food. Like it's fucking wild. Yeah. There's been a lot of like people pulling into the wrong driveways or knocking on the wrong door. Cause like I live in Missouri. So that whole situation with that teenager in Kansas city was like really big in our news because he knocked on the door to like was told by his mom, like, you need to go pick up your siblings at so-and-so's house, went to the wrong house and then knocked on the door. And this like old white guy opened the door and just shot him. Like, no, no, nothing. And they did charge that guy. Like they arrested him and they are charging him. But at that, it was like a bunch of incidents like that happened in like the same week. Like there were multiple people shot and they were like all teenagers, like all young kids, all of like different ethnicities you know all in very like different circumstances like one girl just pulled in somebody's driveway and was like backing out of the driveway and got shot it's just like it's very very eerie that all of these are like you know kind of coming up and happening at the same time and wasn't it in florida where somebody was like dismembered like a doordash driver what well i know there was like a doordash driver who was like shot up because they we're at the wrong house, but I don't know about the dismemberment. Uh, yeah, dismemberment. Crazy. I want to say it was Florida, but has anything happened this week in the news? Because I, I feel like I've been so focused on my personal life, I haven't really kept up with the news. And Stephen Colbert is like my mm-hmm. number one source of the news, and I have been watching him lately because it's all reruns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, the writer's strike. Yeah. Yeah. There was also, I mean, I think the biggest, I admittedly, I've been under a rock this week as well, but I do think that the, I am a, I am a New York Times avid reader. I just absorb the New York Times. I wake up, I make coffee, I scroll the Times. But like the last couple of days, I did just move. So I haven't been as actively on that. Also, my sister gets married this weekend. So I've just been kind of busy with other stuff. But I do get the email updates. And so if I like open my phone and like see the email update, I, I check it. There was huge news with the Trump case this mm-hmm. week with the with the sexual assault case and the jury um, finding him guilty on that and huge damages in that case. So that was really the only legal news that I Is this the kind of hyper-focused on. No, no, this is a so civil this is, case. Mm-hmm. This is a civil case. Okay. Um, for the woman that said he had sexually, I don't want to botch the facts, um, but had a sexually assaulted her. Mm-hmm. I believe damages in the case were around $5 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, the jury found him guilty. That was, that was big legal news this week. 
And that was the only thing that I really saw. Kayla is usually the expert in terms of keeping up with like what's going on in the, in the legal world. So if she has anything to, to trump Trump, please step on in. <laughs> uh, but... Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, KP, did you say you had something interesting to sh- to talk about regarding the Trump case, like with Wadir or something? Yeah. So um, one of my friends sent me, uh, one of my friends from law school sent a Twitter thread kind of about this because, yeah, I mean, he was found guilty or, you know, whatever the liable. verdict ends up being. Yeah, he liable. found liable. Um, That's what I should have for... said. Sorry, everybody. Living no, in no, no, no. You're, world. You're fi- yeah, I mean, I'm like half a seltzer and a full whiskey in. So I'm like, what are <laughs> um, But yeah, the, the, the complicated jury... airflow. Compl- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm doing my. Did outside. you get my reference? Okay. Complicated airflow. To what? Succession. Oh. I know it was season one. It's kind of a throwback. We we can't we can't look. We can't even get into that right now. Oh, we're gonna get into it. But I watched Sundays (laughs) as it was coming on, and I just I can't. Okay, so tabling that but yes complicated airflow um i very much am doing the kendall of just like giving the speech on living plus that's how i feel right now um (laughs) i'm being like put on the spot and have no help because everyone's bailing on me to talk about trump um but um so somehow it all comes together perfectly yeah okay no thank you so much for that i appreciate it all i'm missing is the cool flight jacket um so (laughs) I I got sent this Twitter thread and like I'm not on Twitter. Um, our podcast has made the decision as a group to not be on Twitter because we don't want to be on Elon Musk's Twitter. So we're just kind of staying away from that. Um, but one of my friends sent me this um, Twitter th- thread by Lisa Rubin, who is an attorney and she's she's often like an MSNBC legal analysis Um I think she also like does some work with um, Rachel Maddow. I don't know in particular, but that's just mm. like highlights of her. Um, mm. But she was talking about the verdict. She um, went on TV earlier this week to talk about the verdict. But the interesting thing about this case was the way that they did voir dire, which is our Latin term for jury selection. Um, and mm. essentially... Which I am obsessed with. Kayla's yeah, obsessed with voir dire too. We love voir dire. It's so yeah. interesting. We're for sure, like Kayla and Addie are for sure going to do an episode on jury selection to kind of like get more in detail about it. Um, And it's because like it is so nuanced. It is such a skill as a lawyer to have to be able to do voir dire because you're, you know, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case, you have to go in there and you have to try to pick a jury that is somewhat favorable to you or if at any rate, not favorable to your opponent. And that's often really hard, especially in cases like this with Donald Trump. Um, because like, obviously everybody knows who Donald Trump was. He's the president. So there's going to be, you know, you have to weed out people that have really strong opinions of him either way, honestly, to be able to get an impartial jury, right. you want people that don't really follow him much. So the big issue, I don't want to even say issue, but like kind of the concerning part of this jury selection was that the judge in this case did not use a juror questionnaire. Um, they just relied oh. on oral and rapid succession questions and the answers I don't like that yeah exactly the answers to those questions were preserved in only two places the attorney's own notes and the transcript of the voir dire but the problem was is there was an error in the transcript of the voir dire 
And that actually turned out to really allow this particular juror on to the jury in this trial, um, which could have been really bad for the defense. Well, really, no, I guess not not Donald Trump's case. It would have been bad for E. Jean Carroll because this person, like, essentially... Yeah, yeah, could tip the case for sure. So the one thing on this too is that um, none of the jurors are identified by name. They're all identified by number. Um, But juror number... 31 is, um, oh, wait, no, I take that back. Juror number 10, I think. I don't know what the person's number one, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, this juror said that, um, like, they were asked questions about, like, how they get their news. So some people are like, I get it from CNN, I get it from Google, I get it from Facebook. Like, people are answering that question. And this person says, like, I basically tend to avoid the news, but every now and then I listen to podcasts, mainly independents like Tim Pool. And if you don't hmm. know who Tim Pool is, he's basically, I, I think like the way that he describes himself is like a defector from the left. Like he was really big into the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. Okay. He was a really big advocate for um, like folks that were live streaming those kind of events to be able to do that as part of their First Amendment rights. And he was actually nominated for um, one of Times 100 people in 2012 because of his importance in the Occupy movement. But yeah. as of 2019, okay. he's getting invited to the White House. Uh, like what Trump invited him to the White House because he basically did like a complete 180. Um, he Whoa. was, yeah, basically was like Mula. criticizing Twitter for banning um, Milo Yiannopoulos or however you say that racist name. Um, he, you know, he got invited to the White House by Trump. And then in August 2020, Trump had liked a tweet that Tim Pool sent out that was expressing sympathy and support for Kyle Rittenhouse. So, um, and there was also like Donald Trump Jr. retweeted a statement by Pool describing um, how the Rittenhouse case had convinced Tim Pool to vote for Donald Trump. So Tim Pool has really been like a podcaster that's like very right, very supportive of Trump and his movement. But when they, when the juror answered that question, it didn't say Tim Pool in the transcript. It said Temple, like T-E-M-P-L-E. And oh. so there's, I don't know like really how it kind of happened, but basically what Lisa Rubin is saying is like as a result of the speed, the dr- bad transcription, the poor listening skills or all of the above, the Tim Pool fan stayed and he got to serve on the jury. And Whoa. so um, that that was a pretty big deal because you know, one of the lawyers in this case, like I, I think it was even one of Donald Trump's lawyers, but he said, um, people have very strong feelings about Donald Trump and however you feel about it, it's okay. But there's a time and a secret place to have those feelings and it's called the ballot box during an election. It's not here because to do so in the court of law would make no one better than those who would seek to bend the rules of law for their own personal agenda. So that statement was given by a lawyer in closing and somehow this Tim Pool right-wing like Trump, you know, presumed Trump supporter ruled with this jury to make Trump pay this author $5 million. So it was actually super interesting that the voir dire got messed up so bad and still worked out for E. Jean Carroll and her legal team. Wow. The thing that is so interesting about not having a juror, juror questionnaire too is that if you, the juror questionnaire is not some of the substantive stuff that you want to get into with bias, it just gives you some background, especially with potential things that um, might be like a conflict or something for a juror. Like if you have family in criminal cases, 
things that are really, I think, important on, you know, a juror questionnaire are things like um, employment, knowing if a person is employed um, with any sort of entity that is related to the case. Um, if they have, it's important that usually, and I don't know about Washington, but in Idaho, we ask if, you know, they have family and law enforcement, which usually comes and plays a role in criminal cases, um, especially if they know the officers that are involved, things like that. Um, civil cases, a civil juror questionnaire. Um, I don't know if they're different than criminal ones and depending on the state, but it is really interesting because civil cases are just a different being. And I, I thought when I was thinking about this case that it was just ripe for the circumstances of a mistrial because of some of the things that go on with a figure such as, you know, a former president, a huge political figure. Um, and now I guess knowing more about the body process, I feel like I'm surprised that they were able to reach a verdict, to be honest with you. And also, you know, I think the other thing that's really important to think about with this case is that Donald Trump is a really significant legal figure, not only for this case, but just putting it in context, he's the only president to have been impeached twice. He's the first president, well, I should say he's the first president to have been impeached twice. The first president to um, be charged with a crime because we know that he was indicted previously. And he's now the first president to be deemed liable for sexual assault by a jury of presumably his peers. Legally a significant character in different processes of law, technically. The case is fascinating. And I think it's really interesting that you tie it to the Rittenhouse case because I wanted to talk about the Rittenhouse case. I had a colleague in my office um, go to this training in um, in Idaho. There's a big training every year for criminal defense attorneys in Sun Valley, is my understanding. I've never been. I've only been practicing in Idaho for less than a year. Um, and my understanding is that at this training that was in Sun Valley for criminal defense attorneys, there was an attorney who was involved in the Rittenhouse case. Um, and what was really interesting about that case and what I didn't know until uh, my colleague came back and presented on it. And, you know, I'm not going to be one to talk about feelings towards the Rittenhouse case. I think that's a little bit improper for a criminal defense attorney to get into that because I think that a big part of what I believe in in my job is that everyone is worthy of having their day in court. Everyone is deserving of a defense and everyone um, has the right to have their rights protected. And so I, I, you know, I'm not in the business of, of determining who is and who isn't worth a day in court and their own defense. But what's interesting about the Rittenhouse case is that, and again, I wasn't there. So just my impression of what was related on to me is that there was so much crowdfunding for his case that the attorneys that were involved in his case got to do several mock trials to prepare for trial. And they got to pay potential jurors to be involved. And so his case and the preparation, and I think there was other things that were involved in terms of like technology and all sorts of stuff that they used in preparation for this case that you know, a lot of offices don't have, let alone, you know, maybe a state-funded office or anything that's like, you know, catered to public defense, don't have the ability for these things. His case really did seem to have the benefit of having additional funding that was funneled 
to him by people that believed in his cause, which Mm. is just wild at the outset to think that, you know, that's now the world we live in where people having like a GoFundMe or whatever can really contribute to trial preparation, which in my opinion, trial preparation is key to succeeding at trial. Um, And if you have all of these resources to, you know, go through a trial with a jury and then see how that goes and try different things. And it, and, and my colleague didn't tell me exactly how many, um, like mock trials the Rittenhouse case had, but there were a lot. And I don't know of that in any other case. I've never heard of that before. And I found that to be fascinating on behalf of just like, you know, the potential of what that could look like for clients, but also just like who has that in their own cases. That was a really interesting thing. I think somebody also presented um, at the conference who was involved in the Weinstein um, trial as well. And so circling back to the Trump, you know, civil case, every single legal issue has so many different things that you're trying to mitigate and manage and prepare for. Jury selection is a huge thing if you proceed to trial because you're just now having to do a lot of, you know, information gathering from random people. But, you know, in maybe the Weinstein case, and I guess maybe the Rittenhouse case, and I guess maybe the Trump case, there's also a lot of managing of the media. And how do you do that? Like, that's now the world we live in, in, I guess, civil cases, definitely criminal cases, if you have a high profile case. Um, and just making sure that the pool of people that you have involved are, you know, kind of where are they at in consuming that? And then also what role does the media play? How do you present, you know, it's hard too, because if you're in a high profile case, your involvement in that case also attracts media attention. So how is the media um, talking about what's currently going on in your case? Like, it's crazy. And, you know, I always talk on this podcast about the fever dream of criminal defense because it really was all these high tech things started getting involved in thinking like seventies and eighties, but you, and you were having, you know, even into the nineties having like first of like, you know, I think OJ's trial having that, you know, broadcasted all these different things that changed the way that you have to think about a case. Yeah. The Michael Jackson trials too. Those were really big. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you think about all these cases that are having these different, you know, new technology that presents a different challenge in them. But then you also think about cases that have the ability of having other technology help your case. It's wild. And I don't know. Go ahead. add, Add to your point, like, okay, first of all, for anyone who's listening, I'm like the idiot of the group. I'm the burnout who like just does <laughs> all the that. audio. Okay. I would never say that. Look. Yeah, we would never say that about a law clerk. Drummer. That's all I need to say. Drummer. I know how to Bro. count to four sometimes. There's two in this chat. <laughs> so like, I think what's fascinating what you just talked about was one, it sounds like they vetted in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that they vetted the jury to see if they would align with what they wanted. Yeah, and I mean you dude, I think they eventually I think they eventually okay. did that, but in their preparation, they paid random yeah. people so that they could is my understanding. So they did like all these yeah. mock trials to then work on, you know, case strategy 
And so they kind of figured out through those mock trials, again, my assumption of it, how to best present the case to the jury, what type of jurors to look for when they get to the real thing. Like who to target and who to like maybe an emotionally talk to during the mock trial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um and and in law school, what's interesting about that too is I had this book for trial preparation and it talks about I should have jotted this down. I have it written in my office somewhere, but there's this book and it talks about the different types of jurors that you get in a juror in, in Wadier. And there's people that are um you know, very uh, outspoken and they have the potential to be kind of like a controlling personality. There's people that have, are a little bit more passive. There's people that are, you know, more sympathetic to law enforcement. There's people that are afraid of law enforcement. All these different personalities go into what a potential juror that's right for the case, Mm -hmm. what you're looking for. And so when an attorney is asking questions, you know, and, and oftentimes I go and sit in whenever I don't have to be in court and I don't have like to be just stuck at my desk. If someone in my office is in trial, I just go and watch. I think it is fascinating and I can take my computer and I can work on stuff while I'm there. But I've watched a lot of jury selection in the last, you know, however many months I've been out of law school. And Everyone has their own way of asking those questions and everyone has different things that they're looking for, just depending on your case. You know, sometimes it comes up to people like, what's your sensitivity to substance use? How do you feel about, um, you know, potentially maybe your client or the defendant is, um, you know, not white and is like a person of um, a demographic that you're trying to figure out how the jury feels about that. And how the jury feels that race may have had an involvement in the case. Maybe you have a case that's like a domestic violence issue and you're wanting to talk about like if anybody has any past experience with that. I would be fascinated to know the types of questions, aside from just political ideology, that the attorneys wanted to know with the Donald Trump jury. Because it goes beyond that. I mean, you're having a case where money is involved. And so maybe you're wondering if the jury thinks that this person is just after money. Also, how does the jury feel about, you know, sexual assault allegations? How does the jury feel about a writer publishing all of these things about somebody years after the fact? And you have to figure out the types of questions to get their opinions on things that are at issue in the case from them when you're doing jury selection and you have to do it so subtly that you don't really show your hand Mm. to the jury and you don't offend the jury, but there's things you want to know. And also maybe you're wanting to drop, drop some themes of your case in jury selection. Like it's different attorneys want to like, you know, flavor the case in jury selection or get different things that they're wanting out of the jury in jury selection. And it's individual to every case. And it is, there's, you know, different things you look for when every case, you know, domestic violence case, okay, you're going to have stuff you want to ask about. Um, A huge drug trafficking case, you might have stuff you want to ask about. But like, each defendant is different in a civil case, you know, the dynamics between the two parties are so different. Um, It's just, it's 
the skill. KP, it, what you said is the skill. It's beyond that. I think it's an art. Because oh, yeah. um, you have to really know also how you come across the people. Um, and so it's just fascinating. And some attorneys are really good at it. I watched, and while I was in law school, um, I watched a, a an attorney who worked in the public defender's office because I was in clinic. And he went to my law school. Kayla, he was in our original class. I'm not going to name drop because I don't want to embarrass this person. I don't have like their consent to talk about them. But I watched a case and I was just harmed by this person. I didn't know him very well. Um, I like had him as a you know a classmate at one point, and I just watched him, you know, interact with the jury, and he got the jury to just feel comfortable talking about all sorts of stuff. And and it's also weird, Kayla. I don't know what you're you've done more voir than I have. Um, I'm assuming, and you've probably watched your fair share of it. But it's it's also this fascinating thing where people feel like I, I feel bad for people who don't practice law and who have never served on a jury because I think jury duty gets this bad rep. But people, right, Clark? <laughs> and I, I don't think I'll ever be able to serve on a jury. Oh, we would never get picked. People who don't, they would know ask what us that, if we're attorneys, and they would, would be like, dismissed. <laughs> have you? I would produced a podcast with attorneys. Out. <laughs> Bye. See ya. See ya. <laughs> well, that's kind of that's kind of what I was wondering too. Is like kind of like. Kayla, from your perspective, like, I don't know, what do you think, having done Boisdier before and having, like, you know, been involved in trials and stuff like that before, like, what is something that really, I guess, like, talk about your style or maybe, like, style that you're adopting? Because I know, like, we are all really fairly new lawyers, like, in the last, like, five years as in new lawyers. But, you know, kind of, how do you approach Boisdier and, like, what are things that you kind of look for when you do that? So I definitely don't feel like I have enough experience to really speak on this. I've only really done it, I think, one time. Mm -hmm. And I was helping out on a felony case. And I think it was a a felony, like a lewd or something. Somebody was like running from the police. Yeah, they were. What I kind of liken it to is being like (laughs) a talk show host. That's what it feels like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like. You're up there. You're kind of trying to be charming. You're trying to like get people to engage. Yeah, it just it just gives like Oprah vibes. That's what I I always think about. What uh, kind of vibes? Oprah, like your game, Oprah? like a yeah, like a talk show host. Like you know, you're strutting Everyone's around. Getting a humpback whale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's like, really interesting. Well, and it's interesting. Is it like? It's interesting too because potential jurors feel like people who get put in a in a courtroom and are like, you know, some of them don't want to be there. Some of them are like really excited for their civic duty, and then some of them just like want to just be really honest. So it's this weird like snapshot into like culture and society, and I feel like people are more comfortable just volunteering and soliciting things about themselves that in any other context they would not and it is fascinating it's so fascinating and i i I feel like every time i've watched bodier i've had to like not laugh which is bad but just people just say all sorts of stuff and so attorneys also who are good at bodier are really good at like redirecting which is like a very skill in and of itself fascinating and there is something like kayla what you were saying there is something to 
going into jury selection process and sitting in front of these people and knowing that like 12 of them or, you know, whatever your jury size is, that those are going to be the people that you talk in front of for the next however many weeks, you know, like depending on the length of your trial. But that's your first time being in front of those potential jurors. And that'll be the first time that you actually are in front of the jury of your peers that you're having to make your case to. So yeah, I had never really thought about that. But yeah, I mean, like you're going in there like Oprah, like, hey, guys, like, hi. Yeah, I'm Kayla. You want them to like you. Yeah, you want them to like you because you want them to already have. I mean, like, that's part of the skill of it, too, is like you have to go in there and be this like charismatic person because you could be representing Donald Trump, Kyle Rittenhouse, OJ Simpson. And you have to go in there and be like, hey, this is cool. Like, this isn't a bad guy. Like, <laughs> we're friends. Like, would you want to go get a beer after Wadir? You know, like, would you want to drink with defenders? Like, that's what you're trying to, like, establish in that moment. Because you want them to buy into you as a person. So that when you get to the point that you're like, hey, remember me? My guy over here didn't do this shit. That's exactly right. <laughs> and sometimes it's not even about that. It's, like, not even making them, like, love your client. But it's making them just, like, Again, it depends on the case, like making them question. Yeah, making them see it from your point of view very early on. Or making them feel like the alleged victim is questionable or whatever it is. And it's just so fascinating because you have to really know the narrative you're trying to present while also just being like in that role. Is it common for you guys to no. work in or do your trial in front of a jury? Like, have you guys mm. done that a lot? No, no, not common. Juries are extremely rare. Okay, actually. so damn expensive. They're extremely are- rare. I think it's something like ninety-eight percent of cases are resolved with pleas. Right? Yeah, like one. It's like two two percent right. of cases ever actually make it to trial. And you could go. Th- and the thing I remember, like, well, also, sorry, no, Kayla, go ahead. Oh, that was Addie. Oh, sorry, Addie. Oh, go well, ahead, the yeah. thing the thing I was going to add. No, no, no. The thing I was going to add too is that. If you think about, and again, I'm biased by my involvement in criminal law, so I can't speak to the civil side of things as much. But the thing to keep in mind is that the vast percentage of criminal cases are mm-hmm. misdemeanors. Um, it's like, I want to say over around like 80% or so, at least in the state of Idaho, or like 80%, I think misdemeanors and then like 20% felonies, give or take, you know, 10% on each side. The amount of people who have representation in misdemeanors is smaller than the amount of people who have representation in felony mm-hmm. cases. So there's a lot of people who end up pleading out before they even get an attorney in misdemeanor cases. And then there's so many misdemeanor cases that I think the system really incentivizes people to take a plea deal. And also keep in mind, court is a long haul. Especially during COVID, um, I think it's still kind of backlogged. Um, a lot of people just want to move on with their lives, especially if they just have like a small misdemeanor. It's more complicated when they have more cases and that like stuff like that. You might want to go to trial, but a large percentage of cases aren't, re- at least in the criminal system, aren't really primed to go to trial unless there's like. It depends on the case, but it's exceedingly rare. So I haven't had a trial case. I, I think I have one. I have one set um, that I think is supposed to go in June. But um, out of what I have, like over 110 cases. And as of now, I only have one that I know for sure is going to go to trial at some point. You're currently working on 110 cases? 
just like revolving? So most of some of them are sentenced. Um, and you know, that I also have a vast range of different cases, but my 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 cases right now, I think I have over 110. Is that normal? Yes. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot, a lot. A lot. I don't know about normal. Keep in mind I'm a public defender. Like <laughs> it's it's it shouldn't be, but it's typical, I would say. And then also like people in my office have way more than I do. I mean, I'm the most junior attorney in my office. Yeah. It's crazy. And then also, um, I mean, just thinking about like, you know, let's also talk about just what's going on in the week. Like I, uh, as I mentioned, it's my sister's wedding weekend. And so I am taking a half day tomorrow. I took a half day last Thursday and was out Friday for training in Boise. And then I have to do a half day tomorrow and then out Friday again. And like, it is so hard leaving your work as an attorney, just because at least, you know, in my office, you have to get coverage. You have to make sure that the person who's covering you doesn't have any conflicts with your case. You then have to, you know, basically prepare the case as if you're there and then put in the note. So you're doing all of the work ahead of time so that another person can do it. And so it's been an exceedingly busy week. Um, and to the point of like case, I, I, struggle with saying like caseloads in public defense because a lot of prosecutors will turn around and be like, oh, we have the same amount of cases or whatever. So I I, I try to use the language workload instead mm. of caseload, even though, you know, I have I have a, a mass amount of cases. I think it's more uh friendly to the um integrity and and work and appreciation of people who work in public defense to use workload instead. My workload is insane. Um, I got a reassigned three new clients. Well, definitely got reassigned two clients within the past 48 hours. Each of those clients has more than one case. I also picked up another case that's on that docket for tomorrow. So someone in my office has to cover seven hearings for me tomorrow. And I got of those seven hearings, five of them I have gotten in the last 48 hours. Ooh. Oh my Dude, gosh. that yeah. fucking, I hate so. that shit. Why do you hate I it? hate that. It's a lot. Getting cases at the last minute when they have court like the next day. Okay. It like it takes time to like review it. You have all this other work to do. And now you have to like triage and figure out like Turning exactly a way to call this yeah. person, a way to like, you know, it's I hate that. You have a police report you have to go through. Maybe you're getting reassigned this case in the middle of it. It's maybe they've been sent it. Whatever's going on, and you just have to like review the case and it's when do you have time? And so, Kayla, yeah, it's it's the worst. Getting a, clay, a case and then being like, oh, I have like a hearing on this tomorrow, which tends to happen to me a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's probably the hardest part of my job. Um, yeah, and that's definitely... In lighter like, news... No, I just oh, want to say like, I, um, I'm also... So, a little bit of background on me. I mentioned I'm in the bar in two states. And two states that are really far away from each other. Um, and the reason why that happened is because I moved home during COVID, took the bar exam after I graduated online from law school because we were not allowed to have an in-person graduation. So just feel bad for me and subscribe to our Patreon to make up for that. Um, but I graduated <laughs> via PowerPoint um, and I took the bar in... I, yeah, I watched my PowerPoint as I <laughs> you know, popped up on screen. Um, and... Um, I Kayla didn't get a graduation, so you should actually know. I mean, yes, the yes, PowerPoint no. situation, dude. Yes, and but Kayla didn't have to take the bar. 
I mean, Kayla could Seriously, have. I'm not. Kayla could have I'm taken the bar. Complaining. But Kayla didn't have to take the bar. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, I'm absolutely not. not. It's freaking apples to oranges, dude. Like, we all were screwed. But anyways, like, we we all got screwed because of COVID. Like, we got to finish, but that's about it. Um, But I took the bar in Missouri. And then the job that I got, I worked for a university in Oregon. But I do that remotely from Missouri. So, like, I live in Missouri and practice in another state every day for my 40-hour-a-week job. Um, But kind of like what Addie was saying in terms of, like, you know, when you when you're in a job where you have other people that, you know, can either take your caseload or like, you know, you, you trying to take a day off work because a family member's getting married, or you're trying to take a day off work because like, you just need a sick day. It's very hard to manage that caseload in general, like for all attorneys. And like, it's a catch 22. Like you're either in a situation like Addie, where you're getting dumped cases because people are leaving, or you're having to dump seven hearings on somebody else for tomorrow. And or you're in a situation like me where I'm the only attorney that does my job in my office. Like I'm the only attorney in my office and I'm the only one that does the work right. that I do. So if I take a day off, there's no legal representation being provided. There's no like, you. There just, there isn't right. anything. So I don't, Good I don't have. Lord. Yeah, it, it's weird. But like my, my workload compared to Addie and Kayla is very different. Like, you know, Addie's saying like, I have 110 active cases. Like I just looked and I have nine active cases. That's still a lot considering what you do. And yeah, and it's a lot to have... Like when I say that I have nine cases, my cases are very different. I'm working in like mostly an administrative law setting and not even like administrative... Like if you are a lawyer listening to this podcast, I don't do admin law, but I do like university procedural law and it's very specific and it's very um, nuanced, but it's not criminal law. Like I'm not going to trial. But am I doing cross-examination on sexual violence Title IX hearings? Yes. Am I writing and preparing documentation and reviewing discovery? Like, I got dumped a 500-page document for discovery, like, earlier this week. And I don't have anybody to help me. (laughs) I don't, you know, that's not, that's not, like, out of the ordinary. Like, my friends doing civil law are getting, like, 10,000 pages of documents dumped on them. But they have them, they have a firm, yeah. they have like an infrastructure, they have a paralegal, they have an a admin assistant. Like I have me. And so wow. Monday I sat for seven hours and made my first read through this 500 page document and was trying to like craft an argument for a student during, you know, that entire day. That's disgusting. It really just like goes to kind of the point of, you know, what Kayla and Addie and I experience it like it doesn't really matter what area of the law you practice in like you are underpaid and you are overworked and you are doing your best to keep your wits about you every single day and it's it's just it's very very hard to do what we do and we don't mm-hmm. take that lightly like what we do is a privilege and what the sure. education we have is a privilege and the the amount right. of like I don't want to like status is not the right word, but the amount of the amount of power that we have to be able to use our degree to help other people. And that's what we all do. We all do defense work. We just all do it in different contexts. Um, like, yeah. And so like we are defending people who usually don't have anybody else to look out for them. And we take that shit super seriously. And at the same time, like it's hard. And I think, you know, the thing I want to, yeah, go ahead. I want to thank you for saying that because I was talking about that at dinner last night with my closest friend here. 
And I was like, and Kayla, we talk about this all the time, but it's like, I am so grateful to do what I do. I'm so grateful to have the company of people that I know from law school because this podcast is literally a celebration of that. Um, But that does not shortchange the fact that what I do is fucking hard. And it takes an extreme amount of support. I'm going to just say resources. Like I, you know, I would not be able to do what I have done if I didn't have that privilege and resources to like go to law school, you know, study for the bar, all of these things. Like I am very aware of all of that. And I have like, I do not take that lightly. And I think that that also contributes to this like burden I place on myself to like do my job and help other people because it has to be worth it to me at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. But it is also incredibly difficult to like absorb sometimes, which I think we talk about on the podcast a lot. And I'm just glad to hear from another attorney that's not necessarily just like in a, you know, a public defender's office or in a criminal defense office. Like it's true. Every single person that I went to law school with and every single person I know that practices law deserves a lot more in terms of just respect, time, um, compensation for their work because it is really hard to be an attorney. And that's... You put up with a lot of bullshit Mm. being an attorney. And I'm not here to tell somebody to not go to law school because I'm really glad that I went to law school. I technically chose law school twice. But I, you know... It's hard. Um, and, you know, and even when you have good days, there's always something that goes, shit hits the fan in this job, even when you have a good day. Like, I didn't have necessarily a bad day, mm-hmm. but I had an embarrassing day. And so, like, you know, just stuff happens. And um, and I just appreciate the, the perspective, too, of just, like, even if your case, you know, because people are like, the caseload is overwhelming. No, it's the like work. the work. I mean... And yeah, I else. mean, you could have one client yeah. and that client needs 50 hours of your time a week, but you have a hundred other ones that you have to get right. attention to. Even if you just have one client that you're giving 50 hours of time to a week, like that's 50 hours of time. <sighs> and if that, you know, if we're just talking about like staying within a 40 hour right. work week, like we're not even close to that. Like I get paid salary to do my job. And I think like Addie, you right. like have the same situation. Like you're getting paid salary and we're working over 40 hours every week. Like insane. Every week. And I also and well I think about like attorneys who are on contingency mm-hmm. and I get so stressed out for them that. because all of their eggs are in one basket. And maybe they only have like one big case that takes like three years to actually, you know, settle or go to trial on or whatever. And it's like feast or famine in, you know, I think personal injury law, stuff yeah. like that. And, or maybe people will do class actions. And I'm like, holy crap, your stress levels, because everything goes into this case and you're just like riding on retainers and, and, you know, how things play out in court or settlement. I have stress, but at least at the end of the day, like, yes. Should every attorney be paid more? Yes. But at the end of the day, like I know what I'm making mm-hmm. month, month to month. So I'm guaranteed a paycheck every month. Like that's that's some security. That is some security, yes. I'm watching Kayla, some of your reactions to some of the comments that are being made. Like, what's going through your head right now with with all of that? <laughs> I'm like 
I I'm like I feel I feel exposed right now. Oh. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to expose you. I'm no, just no, curious because no, 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 no. like it's okay. Oh well, as you guys were talking about us just like being defenders of like vulnerable and marginalized people. I was just like thinking about the job interview that I had today. And it's a, like a big corporate firm that would represent like the people with money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the people who own the houses or like the business owners. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's, it's just, it's just, pivot. you know, when you're like, when you do criminal defense for so long or KP, like the position that you do, I feel like it just becomes such a part of your identity. Like I fight for the underdog, you know, mm-hmm. like that's what I do. And so mm-hmm. it's just, um, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Well, we, we fight for the underdog. Yes. But we also fight for the people who did exactly what they're being accused of too. Like, yeah, we are representing the worst of the worst sometimes. Like we're we're taking on people that like, you know, there's a lot of times where like, you know, especially in like the public defender realm, like did a cop overstep? Did like some Karen call the cops on some black child because they were black in the street? Like, yes. And are we also representing people that freely come into our office and tell us, yes, I committed this crime. Yes, I committed this sexual assault. Yes, I like committed this fraud, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're also doing that too. And, and so like, sometimes we're not representing people that are innocent. Like we're representing people yeah. that did exactly what they are accused of doing, but our job is to make sure that they have full access to their process and to their rights, especially that are like constitutional rights to process. Like right. that's our job, but it doesn't, it doesn't make our job any easier because we are, you know, w- we're 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 in a catch 22 in some of those instances and sometimes those corporations like they need protection and that's like not <laughs> that's an unpopular opinion but sometimes you do have to look out for them thank you Kate. kayla i will You're say so if in, in knowing you in knowing you i okay i just have to fangirl about this because i've talked about it on the podcast a huge part of why i like what i've chosen to do is just like Kelly, you are so fascinating as an attorney. And I like saw the way your mind would work in law school. You might not be working for people that are like, you know, in the same like category in terms of like our society, in terms of being like marginalized or oppressed to a degree of based on like poverty or how they identify. But you are scrappy Mm -hmm. as hell. (laughs) And you always have been. And you love... You love you love a villain story and like more than anybody. And <laughs> I think that sometimes attorneys who like that get, you know, it's it's fascinating because it's like maybe your client's not the underdog, but mm-hmm. now you are mm-hmm. because you're the person that's like villainized as their representation. Mm-hmm. And so I like like I think that some of the energy I try to bring into the courtroom, I really learned from you. And it's the fact that like, I come in with the underdog mentality every single day, because I think that like, I view myself in my role as mm-hmm. the underdog. And like, maybe your client's not, 
but like you will always be an underdog as a who you are as an attorney. And like that's I'm gonna just swear a lot on this podcast. That's fucking cool because that's who you've always been. And honestly, you know, we are not in the business of judging our clients. And so maybe it's like also, I think you get to a place where you get humanized by your clients when you're working with people who are indigent. But also, you know, it's maybe going to also challenge some of the other um, prejudice you might have towards people that you gathered while working on this side of things. Like you're constantly evolving in terms of how you view the world and your clients. And uh, I think that it has an opportunity to really grow you as a human and as an attorney. And um, that's fucking sick. So I believe um, that. You might not have. Yeah. Yeah. You might not like, have the person that's like, you know, constantly being like assigned counsel in court or whatever, but you're also being villainized as hell by representing the people that if you get the job, you might. So thank you for saying that. And that's, it's just true to we who you love are. You, Kayla. And if there's anybody who can, oh, I love you guys. If there's anybody who can, we stand. Always, if there's anybody who can, <laughs> if there's anybody who can flip it real quick in terms of like, you can represent Ugh. anybody, which is like the characteristic of like a really scary person in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm terrified of the people where I'm like, I feel like you just will do your job of representing to the best of your ability. Those people I'm terrified of in the courtroom and you're, you're one of them. Aww. So, um, thank you. She so would much. not want to go up against you. But, <laughs> Ever. No, I would not. I, I did. My, um, I did in law school. I did in law school. We did in law school. We did our oral arguments against each other. I did other, not know that. And I was terrified. I it was incredible. We did. We did our oral arguments against each other. Oh man, it was my birthday, <laughs> and oh, we did our oral much. arguments against each other. I feel like we should definitely do a pod sometimes where where we talk more about like your guys's experience with each other during law school because. Saying the word oral argument sends me into like a panic that I have not felt since spring 2019. And I would love for our listeners to like have more context on like what our experience of going through law school actually looked like and you know how we're writing it down right now. (laughs) That's a great idea. Addie, Kayla, next tangent episode. KP went to UL, so for sure. Yeah, we all we all ended up at the same place, and now we all are in different states practicing law, and somehow are successful at it. <laughs> That's the weird part. We shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to be totally honest with everybody out there in the world. If you go to law school, the one thing you will learn is like um, imposter syndrome either goes away really quick, or it's something that sticks with you. And for me, it went away really fast when I saw some of the people that w- I was in class with or were in a different class than me. That's so mean. Don't look, I'm just that. saying. I'm just, oh, look, no, I understand what you're saying, KP. You just, Probably you, no, people no, 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 no. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean like, I want to have the confidence of like a straight white man going to law school and just like absolutely walking in and being like, I belong in this space. And I'm going to be so loud about my like mediocre lawyering. And it made me feel as like a white queer woman to be like, I can be like pretty low key about my mediocre lawyering and I can still get through this shit and get a job. So I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying, no names, no names. But, you know, like <laughs> so content. much of it, dude, is just being likable. And yeah, you just people. have to have some charisma. You got to have some riz, as the kids say these days. All the kids. I feel like, well, I feel uh, like for me, like the, the secret to really surviving law school and then being out in the practicing world is like, I think I started law school as a very different person than I ended law school as. And I finally just like surrendered a little bit to law school and then just focused on really just me and was like, I don't care about how I am like perceived by people. I just got to know my shit. I got to just, you know, focus on that. And, and I worked really hard to like pass the bar and study for the bar. And then now as an attorney, like I am, I am very comfortable being mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And that's like the biggest thing. And I think I had to like learn that in law school a lot because I, w- I was, I was constantly uncomfortable in law school and it really prepared me for what it was like being an attorney. And then in the default, like be kind, but mm-hmm. take no shit. And that's like how to be a likable person in the legal community. Like, you know, be kind to opposing counsel, be kind to your clients, be kind to your staff, be kind to your coworkers, go ask questions, be likable, be nice. But like, do not get walked all over. You heard it here first. That's if you want a secret on how to survive your first three months as an attorney, there you go. I can add to that. And I'm not an attorney. And maybe this will be a good way to close things out. So for limited transparency to our listeners, Kayla and I are in a similar, in our own respects, in a similar place in life right now. And I was having a discussion with one of my bandmates on the way to practice last night. This person is very like successful in what they do. And I'm venturing into something that is new to me. I've been having, mm-hmm. you know, like the normal kind of self-doubt talk, like, can I really do this? Can I do I really deserve like this thing? And starting to hyper analyze like where I am in my life and where I've been and and do I really have yeah. the ability to go to the next level? And my bandmate just mm-hmm. lights up and he lights up over like the 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 funniest topics like taxes and like, you know, just very dad stuff. He's a, <laughs> so he's one of my favorite people in life. And so he was like, dude, have I given you my speech yet? And I was like, uh, I don't think so. And he was like, here's my speech in summary. There's no real value in life. We only put value on things that we want to put value on things. But like we as humans, we are invaluable. It's just like all the other shit has no real value. And I think that like what I'm learning week in and week out with you guys, and I said, said this on my Instagram recently, like I have so much respect for what you guys do every time. I do an episode, it's like it expands my brain. And I realize like these people who have become sort of my Zoom peers <laughs> are doing really important things. And even one of my friends I found out is a defense attorney. He was like, Oh, doing that podcast. Do you get we're everywhere? Yeah, you, really. <laughs> he was like, Do you get bummed out? And I was like, No, because every week I learn something. And what I learn every week is that you three are like the gems of the universe. You guys are like the coolest people doing the most important work. And even if you pivot a little bit and like do something kind of what they were saying earlier, like you do something 
a little bit different outside of your scope. I believe that like what you three bring to the table for this podcast and your lives, your friends, your family, like you guys, like your core nature is always going to stay with you and your your ethos yeah. and your beliefs are going to stay with you. And that's something I've noticed, like whether it be in our text exchanges or in these meetings or episodes, it's like, man, like what you guys represent in yourself is beautiful and I'm proud of you guys. So as I always say almost weekly, like, thank you for what you do. Please hang in there and take care of yourselves. Like what you're doing is very important. Even if you're, you know, considering or looking at doing something slightly different than what you've been doing, it's okay. And and I, I, I wanna add to that just if I may. I was talking about this and I and I wanna share this with Kayla and with you, Clark, in just in response to what you just said, because I was talking about this last night with one of my friends who's one of our patrons, so or patrons. Why is that so hard for me? One of our friends, one of my friends is one of our patrons. So um, please support us. But we were having dinner and we were talking about career stuff. And I was to the point of like, I don't want this podcast to ever be negative, even if we talk about heavy stuff. Even when I have a really hard day at my job, I don't feel negative about why I do what I do. And I think that I hope in the things that I talk about in this podcast, it comes across as like genuine excitement and fascination for criminal defense and the topics we choose and the people that I represent and what I do. And Chrissy, to your point of feeling privileged, like I really love what I do, even when I struggle with it, even when I have hard dynamics in the office that I work in as like a new attorney and just figuring things out in the, in the atmosphere that I work in, like it's hard, but I love what I do. And I feel like a kid in a candy store all the time when I talk about things that I find so exciting. And I just want that for other people. And I think sometimes like getting to that point, feeling like you are deserving of something or like taking on a new challenge or pivoting. Like there's that fear and I feel that every day. But then I like also look back on like the last three months and I'm like, oh, on the other side of that, like horrible anxiety and, you know, imposter syndrome that I have experienced as a new attorney. I'm also just like so excited every time I get to talk about what I do. And I just like want that for everybody. And I think that this podcast, like coming here and talking to my friends about these things that we like, like that really, I get inspired every time that I do. And I guess that's how you keep the light on is like finding something that you're inspired on. I hope that not everybody who listens to this podcast is a criminal defense attorney or else I really need to venture out more (laughs) into the world. But like, you know, for whatever people it is, like, I hope that like, you know, hearing us gush and just talk and is, is adds. So like I want that for everybody and I envy the people who have it. And that's my like two senses. Like it's maybe a really good thing to move in a different direction, although it's really scary. There's the potential to like just feel really excited about your life again. And um and now I feel like I'm preaching. So anyways, <laughs> I'm done. But I have a podcast with three friends where we talk and we hang out and I get to just nerd out and I love it. So thank you all for being here. And um, thank you to everyone who joined us. I, I like that this was a little bit more casual. And um, if you've stuck around, cheers to you. And cheers to the crew of the podcast. Cheers. Ding. Cheers. 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 Thank you.